If your faith in Christ is not leading you to live a lifestyle of devotion to Jesus, then you're in danger. It's a message that America needs to hear today. everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Thank you all for coming today and those in my home. Thank you for braving the cold and icy weather that we've got going on outside right now or in McKinney, Texas where we just had a huge ice storm hit and uh, pretty much the town is kind of in a partial shutdown at, at night and so we're we're making our best. We're doing our best. We're, we're starting a little late today on church but you wouldn't know that via the internet, via the web but uh, praise be to God we're all here and uh, we're thankful to be in the house of the Lord. So um, I want to welcome everybody coming from YouTube and welcome everybody coming from SoundCloud and welcome everybody in my home. And I'm glad to have you all here. And it's a wonderful joy today for me to be able to teach the word of God and, and to be able to be used by the Lord uh, to feed you and uh, to give you the, the word today and to help you understand it. And it's my privilege and it's my honor, actually. I take it as a very great honor. And I thank you so much for being here. It's, my, uh, it's an honor to me that you're here. So anyway... Let's pray uh, before we read our scripture and before we get our title, and we'll uh, roll into the word. So if you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for bringing us here today, Lord. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace that you pour out to all mankind, Lord God. Thank you so much, excuse me, Lord, for all that you do for mankind, Lord. You, You make the... The breath, you make, the, you make our lungs continue to breathe in our chest, even when we're sleeping. Lord, you make our heart beat in our chest, even when most of the time we don't even think about it. Lord, especially when we're sleeping, we can't make our heart beat. And so, Lord, that means that you give us every breath and every heartbeat as a gift. Every single one of them, Lord. Every single one of them. Wow, Lord Jesus. Because we don't think to breathe and we don't think to have a heartbeat. We don't even really know where even thought comes from. We'll talk about that at the end of service, Lord. But thank you so much for all that you give to us. Whew, the breath to breathe and the chest to breathe. Lord, we love you. We praise you. I just ask that you bless this message and bless our fellowship time here today, Lord God. Thank you so much for this beautiful day. For Lord, the Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. Whether there's ice or not, Lord, out there, this is the day that the Lord has made. And I will rejoice and I will be glad in it. So, Lord, I love you and praise you, God. Please anoint this teaching. And, Lord, I pray as I speak, it wouldn't just be me speaking, Lord. Your Holy Spirit would speak through me. And, Lord, teach us, Lord. Jesus, you said in these days, which are the days we're living in now, no one would teach his brother or his neighbor, but you would teach them. And so, Lord, I want you to teach us today. Even teach me as I'm teaching. Praise be to your name, Holy Jesus. We love you and we praise you and we ask these things, all these things, in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen. If you guys want to open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 31 and 32 today. The name of our teaching today is The Unforgivable Sin. Matthew 12, 31, 32. The Unforgivable Sin. So let's read it 
I'll read it. You can read it over with me if you'd like, and we'll teach it. <clears throat> Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Everyone, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Yikes. So we open up our message today with Jesus continuing to talk to the Pharisees. Remember last week we talked about how they were by the sea, and Jesus was, had left the place there, left the synagogue, and they went down by the sea. And that's where he did a whole bunch of miracles and he did a whole bunch of healings and demon possessions and so on and so forth. And while we open back up where we talked about last week, how that's where he was and that's what he had just got done doing. And then the Pharisees basically attacked him and said, you know, you, he's cast, you're casting out demons by the ruler, by Satan. Really, you're not doing it by anything other than Satan, which we talked about last week. And we open up and they're in the same place. Now he's just continuing his discourse to the Pharisees. And he's continuing to tell them by the means in which, you know, he's talking, he's talking to them about the judgment on him and the means by which he cast that demon out. We know it's a continuation from last week because of our very first word in verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, the word therefore means because of that. It means, you know, an example, for instance, the bread is moldy. Not very wise. And because of that, it's not very wise to eat it. Okay, so it's a because of that statement. So verse 31 is in response. It's a continuation from the rest. And we know that because of the word therefore. In this case, the previous thought, as I spoke about earlier, was the Pharisees blaming Jesus or, you know, accusing him of casting the demons out by the ruler of Satan or by Satan, the ruler of the demons. And so he told them, I cast them out by the Spirit of God. Our therefore brings it together with, you know, therefore brings their accusation, his defense of himself together with verse 31. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. So the whole context of our whole new section of Scripture is where I got the title from. God just gave me the title this morning is the unforgivable sin. The whole context, the whole idea of our section of Scripture today is Jesus basically goes on a tangent about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to that main thrust, before we get to that main point, we're actually going to talk about a little side idea. And Jesus hits on some huge points there that God wouldn't let me pass over when I was setting up this message for this week. Jesus makes a very powerful point about sin. And really what it does is it brings a lot of comfort. And it's amazing how the Bible can give us such comfort. So let's read about this comfort to all men. We're going to read all of verse 37, uh, verse 31 up to men. I'll read it again. I love the scripture. I just want to read it over and over and over and over and over. The Bible is such an awesome book. Therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. What did he just say? Every sin of men will be forgiven them. Think of the comfort that that brings to us sinners. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Wow. I could, God couldn't let me skip that one over when I was setting up this message this week. He could, just couldn't let me skip it over. I want to jump right into the context, you know, right into the Holy Spirit, blast me the Holy Spirit, and, but he just wouldn't let me skip that over. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. First, before we get to that, we, we, don't, we don't want to be fooled. We don't want to read that. You know, a lot of people today, they love to twist the Bible. They love to take the Bible and they like to twist it and they want to make it say what they want it to say. But we can't do that because we have to look at, we, we t I, I, as I teach here at Gospel Save Church, I teach verse by verse. I teach, I teach expositionally. I don't do topical studies. At least God's not led me to do one yet. I teach verse through verse. We started in Matthew 1.1 and we're in Matthew 12, 31 and 32. And I've hit every verse every single week. 
and I haven't missed one, and I expositionally, which means I break down every verse, and I teach every verse, verse by verse by verse. And sometimes we get two verses done in a week, sometimes we get eight, sometimes we get ten. Today it's only two. So we hit every single one, and we don't skip anything over. So we can't forget what, we can't be fooled and just say, oh, well, since Paul, every sin is going to be forgiven men. Now, what does that mean? Don't be fooled by what Jesus just said here. God is not just forgiving of all of our sins just because. Okay, don't read that over and say, oh, well, then I guess all men are forgiven. No, we can't say that. The Bible says that God wants to forgive all men other sins, but that it's just not something that just happens, like we're not just born forgiven. We had, he had to pay for the sins of mankind. Hebrews 9.22 says, according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin, and that, of course, covers sin. And of course, we know, in case you haven't heard, about just a little farther down, Hebrews 9.26 says, He, Jesus, has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So it costs God a pretty amount, you know, it costs God a lot to be able to offer that sin to mankind, that great comfort that God offers to mankind. It costs God a lot. It cost God some pretty special blood. So this salvation that God wants to give to mankind comes through Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ. And according to 1 John 1, 9, we read, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But you see, you could read this over in this verse 31 and, and say, well, all people are just, well, they're born forgiven then. You know, all, all people are just, well, Everybody's born, and they don't ever have to do anything. But as we already read, if that was the case, then to pay for sin, God would have never had to, you know, it would have never costed God blood, and it would never cost God his own blood. People aren't just born sin-free. Actually, we're born sinners. Now, the Bible has an underscore underlying theme there, and we, and, we, and we know babies don't have the knowledge of sinfulness. So babies, if they were to die, I don't believe my Bible tells me that babies go to hell. Babies are, don't have the wisdom of sin and Satan and to choose evil and to choose good. So babies as a whole won't be going to hell if they die, but that does not mean that a baby is not born in sinful flesh. It's just God chooses not to hold a baby accountable for his sinful flesh because he doesn't have the wisdom and knowledge to even have any idea of his sinful nature. But you better believe at the age of understanding, forgiveness of someone's sins is not just given and granted to all, the Bible says, since it costs God that precious blood of his holy son, Jesus Christ. We must come to Jesus Christ and we must ask for it and we must take it, of course, by faith. You see, when we sin, the Bible says that we offend God. And even if I sin against my friend, or against my neighbor. The Bible says that that sin, although, yes, I did sin against that person, all sin is against God. So when we sin, we offend God by our sin. Now, if I sinned and I offended, which sin is offense, my friend, how would you have to handle that if you went and you sinned against your friend? If you did something or said something, maybe you didn't even mean to say, but you just said it and you were being rude. What would your friend expect? Would he just continue to be your friend or... He, he'd kind of he'd kind of be hurt. You know, what he'd be thinking is, I mean, I know he's my friend, but man, he, he was really evil. I, I wonder if he's sorry. I wonder, is he sorry? I mean, he just said those evil things to me. And in order really to continue that friendship, that friend, the one that did the, made the offense, has to come to his friend whom he offended, and he has to say, hey, man, dude, I am, listen, I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me? Because I, you know what? I don't know what I was thinking. You know, I, I, I said that evil against you. I, would you forgive me? I, I'm just so sorry. Well, now, 
Okay, the Bible says that all sin is, a, is, a, is offensive to God. We offend God when we sin. So when we sin, the Bible says we have to go to God and we have to ask Him for forgiveness because we sinned against Him. No different than if we were to sin against a friend. Okay? I have this for forgiveness analogy that God gave me a long time ago. We have here in our living room, because we're close, being close to Christmas here, it's December, it's going to be Christmas in, I think, about two and a half weeks or so. And we have here in our living room, we have a Christmas tree. And so, guess what's under the Christmas tree? We have presents. And so, if a present was given to you, and it was set underneath the tree, the Christmas tree, what would you have to do to receive it? Somebody could offer it to you. Somebody could say, hey, man, here, John, here, Larry, would you take this Christmas present, please? I want to give you this. I want to bless you with this Christmas tree. What if you didn't take it? What if you didn't reach out, grab it, and take it in? What if you didn't go underneath the Christmas tree and pick up the present and pick it up and tear it open and open it? Would it be yours? Yes, but no. It would be yours because it's there for you as a promise, but it would not be yours because you didn't take out, reach out your hand, take out, grab it in, and open it up and receive it. And forgiveness of our sins is the same way. We have to reach out. We have to take it from God. God offers it. He said, look at what it costs me to give you forgiveness of sins. It costs you the blood of my holy son, Jesus. But you have to reach out and you have to receive it. It's, not, it's offered to, to you. Here it is. Here's your tree. Here's your gift underneath the tree. But you have to go and you have to get it in order for you to have it. And forgiveness of sins is no different. Forgiveness has to be received. Okay, okay, okay. Now we got that point down. What about this great comfort? I already touched on it a little bit. This great comfort that I mentioned earlier, Jesus talks about in 31. Let's read verse 31 with a different twist now, because now that we know that we have to receive the forgiveness of our sins, and we have to go and we have to take the forgiveness of our sins, let's read verse 31 in a little, in a, in a little different way. Therefore, I say to you, Jesus is speaking, every sin and blasphemy in me can be forgiven men. So every sin and blasphemy can be, for, can be had and forgiven you if you come to me and you get it. And there is where the great comfort lies. The great comfort is this, guys, that that forgiveness of sins and that blasphemy against sins is offered and available to every. It's offered to everyone. Doesn't matter whether you're from China or Russia or from Africa or from wherever in the whole world, whether you're green, or black, or purple, or brown, or blue, the Bible says that the forgiveness of sins is available for us, for mankind. And all I can say to that is, wow. Of course, God says in John 3.16, probably the most well-known verse ever, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That forgiveness of sins is available and offered to everyone. So according to Christ, all your sins can be wiped away. All your sins can be forgiven except of course, for one, and we can't forget our context today. Looking a little deeper, let's, let's listen to what the red letters say. Let's listen to what Jesus said about the same subject in the red letters. Luke 24, 46, 47. Then Jesus said to them, thus it is written, he's talking to his disciples, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer, to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Did you miss it? I hope you did. I'm going to read it again. And that repentance and remission of sins. In case you don't know what that means, remission of sins is the removal of your sin from before God completely. He doesn't just put it away and cover it like it used to be in the Old Testament with the sacrifice of animals. When we have the sacrifice of the better covenant under, because of his son coming with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ, covering our sins, it doesn't cover it anymore, excuse me. It wipes it away completely. The remission of sins means it's a complete putting away 
from before God's eyes, his knowledge. And you can look at it like this. Let's say you were to sin today. And you realize you sinned. You come to God, oh God, I'm so sorry. Jesus, please forgive me of that sin that I did. I, I, I can't, I can't, oh, why, why did I do that, Lord? I'm, I'm just so sorry. Please forgive me in, in Jesus' name. Num amen. So number one, you had to come. You asked. God says you received. So let's say, and this happens to me a lot. Let's say an hour later, I still feel guilty of that sin. An hour later, I still feel like, oh, I still I can't believe I did that. I, I know I asked for forgiveness, but oh, I still feel guilty. And then you go to God again, because I do this often. And I'm guilty. I need to stop. But it's something that's hard. It's our old habits are hard to break. So I go to God again. And I say, oh, God. Oh, Lord, I did that stupid thing. Why did I do that? I, I can't believe it. Would you forgive me of my sin? This verse says, the Bible says, that God is sitting up there going. His response to you when that happens is exactly this. He's going, I hear you, my son, Ed. What, what sin are you talking about? I don't even, what did you, what did you do earlier, my son? I, what, what? I, I, I forgave that. I mean, you did a, I did a, you did something earlier. I forgave you that. What, I don't even remember what you did. It's all gone. It's in God's eyes once you ask, and he gives to all those that repent and ask for forgiveness. Your sin's gone before the eyes of God. It's gone. It's no longer even there in his mind. That's what Jesus is saying here in Luke 24, 46 and 47. John writes, 1 John 2, 1 through 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. That's God's heart that we abstain from sin. If we're going to walk and live for Christ, God, of course, says that I don't want you to sin, my son. I hate it. I hate sin. It's evil to me. I don't want you to sin at all. Okay, but if any, and if anyone sins, because there is a provision for that, if we do sin, and if anyone sins. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. A propitiation is a payment. He is our payment for sins. He is the payment for all mankind's sins. Not only the believers, not only people that are believers, but also even for people like me. I used to be an atheist. If I would have turned, even when I was an atheist, if I would have turned to God, the forgiveness of my sins I could have had if I would have come to Jesus Christ and asked in his name for forgiveness and come to him. That's how awesome this comfort that God has is for us. I don't really even think that we understand what this means. I don't really even think that mankind has an understanding, a comprehension of how important this key aspect of our lives is. You see, sin has been a problem since the very beginning of mankind. In the very beginning, God made Adam and Eve. And they were walking along. They were doing a fantastic job. They were fellowshipping with God. Everything was wonderful. Everything was fantastic. Now, how we can, now I can walk with God today, which I do, but I don't see him like I see you guys sitting in the audience. I don't see his face like I see my son's face sitting over there. I know God is there because he's revealed himself to me, and I know he's there because he's, he reveals himself in all creation. I know God is there. Amen. Okay? But I can't see his face. But Adam and Eve, they walked with God. They saw God's face. They walked in the Garden of Eden and, you know, Adam could have held his hand as he was walking. You know, Adam was like being like a little child. But then here came along Lucifer, that old dirty devil. And here he came. And what did he do? He comes to Adam and he, or he comes to Eve and he says, Eve, God knows in the day you're not going to eat that fruit. You're not going to die. Just, he knows that you're going to, you know, you'll, he knows that you're going to become, you know, better, you know. So just go ahead. Just. Just take that fruit and just, just eat that fruit. So she goes ahead and on and breaks down and she goes ahead and eats it. Then she comes, brings Adam along in there with her and she gives him the fruit and he succumbs to her temptation, his, Satan's temptation, and he goes ahead and eats it too. And the moment they ate of it, their eyes were open and the Bible says that they, went and they, they knew they were naked and then they had to go and they had to make a covering for their own sin. They went and they tried to make their own covering for their own sin. Sin. So God comes on the scene a little bit later and he says, 
Adam, 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 where are you? Which meant that Adam was hiding. And we read a little bit right in that section. Adam says, I'm hiding from you, God. Now, this is the first recorded time that Adam ever hid from God. Whenever God showed up, Adam was right there. No hiding, no problems. And then God knew right away what happened, of course, because he's omniscient. He already knew that he was eating the fruit, even though he wasn't there. So what did God have to do for the very first sin of mankind? Genesis 3.21. Also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God make tunics of skin and clothe them. And in case you're wondering, in case nobody's ever explained this to you, where do you get a tunic of skin from? You don't get it from a plant. You don't get it from a tree and you don't get it from the ground. You get it from an animal. This was the very first animal sacrifice for the sin of mankind. So because Adam and Eve sinned, God said that sin, he would have destroyed Adam if that sin wasn't covered. God had to go kill an animal, shed the blood of the first creature. It was, it was the first creature to have to die on the face of the planet. Nothing had died up until then. All Adam and Eve and all the animals, all they did was eat leaves and trees and fruit and the grass and all that. But this was the first time that an animal, a creature, something that God created had to die because of what Adam and Eve did. Sin has been man's greatest problem since the very beginning. And as we read Hebrews 9.22, don't forget, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. People from that point, from Adam on to Christ, spent years and years and years and years sacrificing animals under the old covenant of God for the, for the remission of their sins, for the covering of their sins. Until, of course, Christ came and became the mediator of a new covenant, covenant where the Bible says that, that by his sacrifice and by his sacrifice alone, God's not going to accept the ones of animals anymore, but he had to have a perfect sacrifice, the sacrifice of his son. And John 14, 6 says it couldn't be anything else. For Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. In closing, good news, the good news, the great comfort, all that we have today in Christ, we can find in Romans 5, 8 and 9. For God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, so while we're still in our sin, even for those right now, you may be listening, maybe you're not saved. While we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Christ died for mankind. Verse 9, much more than having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Because, see, if God wouldn't have made Adam that skin to cover his sin, the holiness of God would have consumed Adam and Eve, and God would have had to start all over. Just like now, if we stand before God, not clothed in the blood of the Holy Son, Jesus Christ, we stand before God, and he'll have to send us away because our sin will be in his way. And we would have not taken care of it while we had chance to here on the face of this planet. Wow. All I can say is what Christ did for mankind is more powerful than I think. I don't think we'll understand how powerful what Christ did for us until we stand face to face with him, until he says, come on in. Until we see the nail-scarred hands. Until we see the hole in the side. and Until we see the nails impressions in the feet. Because it says when he rose, after he rose and he walked among men, he, he lived and he, he was in that same body because they recognized all the markings from the crucifixion. So we'll get to see those one day when we stand before him, when Jesus is where he is. Wow. The fact that salvation and forgiveness of sins is available to mankind is mind-blowing. And we are not worthy, folks. We're not worthy at all. We're sinners and we don't deserve anything but to rot in hell forever. It's only by the grace of God that anyone can be saved. But of course, the Bible says that it's by grace, grace through 
faith. So we have to accept His grace and fall at the feet of His Son, Jesus, and receive that forgiveness by faith. But as much as I would love to camp here, as much as I would love to say, okay, that's it, we're done, hey, amen, hallelujah, let's sing a praise song and let's end the service, we can't do it because that was just the comfort of half a verse. Can you believe we're only through half a verse and here we are still going on? So there, as there is good news, you know, there's bad news. You ever had a friend come to you and say, hey, buddy, I got good news and I got bad news. And what do you want first? Some people are different. They like the good news first. Other people like the bad news first. But, you know, I don't know. But as we have good news, we also have bad news. We have to read the rest of our section here and in verse 31, starting at but. So all sins will be forgiven men. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. So the one sin that won't be forgiven is what? Like I told you the whole context of our scripture earlier, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And that's pretty intense because if we read verse 32 along with it because we can't just take one verse and cherry pick it out and have it to say anything we want verse 32 says anyone who speaks a word against the son of man it will be forgiven him but whoever speaks against the holy spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come so not only is this one unforgivable sin unforgivable now but it's also unforgivable forever in this age or in the age to come means while you're alive now and the age to come is the forever age of God. So that means if you commit this sin, not only will you not be forgiven now, but you won't be forgiven forever. That's pretty intense. That's pretty bad news if you ask me. So with all that bad news and terribly, terrible bad news at that, we better make sure we don't speak a word against God's Holy Spirit, right? I hope everybody out there is saying amen, because I want to make sure I don't speak a word against the Holy Spirit, because I don't want that, because what does it mean to be unforgiven of your sins? What does the Bible say it means to be unforgiven of your sins? But that eternal flames of fire and torment where your worm will never die, and the fire will never be quenched. Jesus talks about an everlasting hell where you don't die, but you, you live forever in a burning torment forever and ever and ever. So I, hey, I want to be forgiven of my sins. This one here, unforgivable sins, reminds me of that one mark of the beast in Revelation where, you know, the, Satan's going to hit the scene within the Antichrist and he's going to offer a mark of the beast. And then the Bible says that anybody receives that mark, their, their salvation's already gone. They gave it away. But this here, you can actually commit the unforgivable sin. So let's find an idea. Let's, let's get an understanding of what this unforgivable sin is so that we can make sure we don't uh, commit it. it. The idea of an unforgivable sin is comprehensible. We can understand that. I understand that I can commit a sin, you know, and I cannot be forgiven of it. Okay, I understand that. Okay, more complicated. What does it mean to speak a word? against or blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What does that specifically mean? To understand that it is so, I understand. Okay, But what I have to do to not do it or what I have to do to do it is another thing. So let's get more complicated. Let's figure out what it means. First of all, we got to go to the definition. What is the definition of blasphemy? The definition of blasphemy is the act of insulting or showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. But in this case, what did Jesus say? Anybody that commits a sin against the Holy... Uh, anybody that uh, blasphemes against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven. So in this case, we're speaking about not the blasphemy of God or not the blasphemy of Jesus Christ, but we're talking about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit of God. So we got the definition down. It, okay, we know that it means to insult or show contempt or lack of reverence for God according to the Scripture today. And according to the whole section of last week, remember the whole section of last week was that Jesus was casting out the demons by the ruler of the demons, by Satan. That was our context for last week. It's the same context for this week. The context of that section doesn't just go away because we're not reading it anymore. We still have to read, you know, when I, when I tell people a good way to read the Bible, 
I don't tell you to go and just read one verse or just go cherry pick one verse or just go do one verse. I tell people, even brothers will call me and they'll say, okay, hey, can, we, can you look at this one verse with me? And, I, and let's say they say, hey, go to Romans 5.2 or let's go to Romans 5.13 and let's read it. I'll say, okay, I got my Bible open, Romans 5.1. And they say, no, 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 Ed, I, I said Romans 5.13. And I'll say, well, what you don't understand, sir, is I don't want just that verse because I want to know what all the verses before that verse said and I want to know what all the verses after that verse said. Because the world is full of, I'll take this one verse out and I'll make it to mean whatever I want. And there we go. I'll just make a whole doctrine. I'll make, hey, I'll make a whole teaching. Hey, I can make a whole religion off of Jesus being Satan's brother. Because that's what the Mormons did. I, I can just do that whole thing. And hey, I can be a Jehovah Witness. And I can, I can say, hey, well, Jesus is just Michael, the archangel. Because he, you know, descends like a shout. From an you know, like an angel from, from the heavens. And they take a verse out of, the, out of one of the Thessalonians and they say that. But see, you can't do that. You want to know what the Bible says, you got to read the verses before the verse that's in question and the verses after the verse that's in question. So our context here is, remember, they accused Jesus of casting out the demons by the ruler of the demons. He said, I do it by the Spirit of God. That's our context. Now here is just a further a, a continuation of that context. So we have to make sure we keep everything all together. So blasphemy of the Holy Spirit according to what they did to Jesus. Remember, Jesus was just responding to what they said. So in context, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit here is attributing the works or power of the Holy Spirit of God to the devil. That's exactly what this scripture is saying. We're not supposed to take any work we see done by the Holy Spirit and transfer it and give the devil the credit for doing that work because that's exactly what the Pharisees did to Jesus here. If you took this section of scripture out of context, you could come up with all kinds of crazy things. Well, what if I grieve the Holy Spirit? Or, or what if I you know, do this? And what if I do that? And well, the Bible doesn't say anything about that. This is really the only place that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is even mentioned in the scriptures. So in order to really get an accurate what, what it means, we have to go to all the verses before. And we have to see what is, what is the context? What is it talking about? So it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. That let's just not speak any bad word against any miracle we see being done in the, you know, in, the, in, in a man or woman of God, and let's just not attribute it to the devil. But, you know, today this sin can still be committed. And I don't know if you know that, but you can still commit this sin today. So don't think, well, I'm out of the woods. Oh, I, I'm, I'm good. You know, hey, that was just the Pharisees that did that because they saw Jesus, and then, then all that happened with them. No, you can, for, you can commit the one unforgivable sin today as far as we concern but 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 all we need to do is make sure that we don't speak any word against any spirit thing that we see done any kind of supernatural thing that we see any man or woman of God doing what are some examples of those things that we could see that we might, you know, that we might, you know, be on the danger line. You know, let's 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 look at the road ahead because it is a rocky road. Being a Christian is a rocky road. So let's look at the road ahead. What does this road ahead have for us? What do we know? How, well, Pastor Ed, how do I know what to steer away from? How do I know if I'm gonna, you know, if I'll leave, what, what situation would I even be in that I could even want? Oh, I'm gonna blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Oh, oh no. So what 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 could be we looking for? What could be we be looking for? Whenever. A true man or woman of God in the name of Jesus were two. Number one, let's look at this. In the Bible, we see this in the Bible. Lay hands on and heal someone. That's number one. Or raise someone from the dead. Or three, exercise a demon from someone. If we were to see those things being done... By a man or woman of God, in the name of Jesus Christ, we ought to say, whoa, that's okay, wow, that's an awesome power right there, whoa, holy camoly, but do not attribute any one of those things to the devil. We have to say that that's either of the Holy Spirit or just, you know, just stay neutral, but do not attribute any one of those things especially or any biblical miracle for that matter to the devil, and that's how we can be assured of staying away from the blasphemy 
of the Holy Spirit. If we just are careful to stay away from speaking words against the power behind these miracles, we'll be okay. And believe it or not, it's really not hard to stay away from speaking a word against these powers behind doing these things. It's really not hard when you consider what the Bible says as a whole. Did you know the Bible even says that we're not even supposed to speak a word against the devil or against the demons? You might be saying, whoa, Pastor Ed, wait a minute now. What are you saying? Hey, God, I know God doesn't love the devil. He hates the devil because the devil's wicked and evil. And whoa, 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 wait, what, what are you saying? Are you sure you're biblical on that? Yes, the Bible says that we're not supposed to speak an evil word even against the devil or against his followers. And I'll show you scriptural proof. Jude 1, 8 and 9, the Bible says, Likewise, speaking of people that are sinners, people, just people that are really not doing what's right, likewise, also these dreamers defile the flesh. They reject authority and they speak evil of dignitaries. And you may be thinking, well, Pastor, where is the don't speak against the devil there? But again, we have to stay in context. Verse 9, yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil, there's our context of the verse, of these two verses, Michael the archangel contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Michael, the archangel, could have said a whole lot of evil things against Satan. I mean, he is an evil. He is an evil being. He does nothing but Jesus said to come to kill and steal and destroy. He wants your soul and my soul and everybody's soul on the face of the planet. And he tries every day to go out and get people in, to follow him every day. He doesn't stop if you become a Christian. He tries harder to get you to fall back to him. Yet... With all that said, the Bible says, do not speak a reviling accusation against the devil or against his followers. And of course, we can't forget what the red letters say. Jesus speaks to a demon, a demon in a man possessed in Luke 4.35 in a synagogue. And he says, but Jesus rebuked him and said, be quiet and come out of him. Or, hey, shut your mouth and come out of him. But you notice in Jesus' rebuke of this fella, of this demon that was in the sky, he didn't say anything evil about the demon. He didn't speak any evil of the demon. He just says, be quiet and come out of him. So likewise, us today, when we know we're being attacked, because there is spiritual warfare, spiritual warfare still, we know that we can just say, hey, get behind me, Satan. Hey, the Lord rebuke you. Get behind me. Hey, Satan, be quiet. You can even tell him, you know, what he's going to face and everything, but don't speak anything evil of him is what the Bible is saying. Another example, we have Matthew 4.10, where Satan was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. You guys remember that John baptized Jesus in the Jordan when he came up, the dove came on and landed on. Well, then Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of all those temptations, the very, very, very last one, when Satan tempts Jesus with, the, with, hey, I'll give you the whole world if you'll just bow down and worship me. Jesus says to him, now Jesus has him right in his face. He's looking at Jesus just like I'm looking at you right now. I could see your face. He could see Jesus' face. If I was Jesus, I might have thrown down fire from heaven. I would have maybe destroyed him right there. But you see, I'm not Jesus. So, you know, thanks be to God, I'm not too. But Jesus says with him, right with him in his face, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God in him only you shall serve. So he rebuked him and he used scripture against him and said, you know, hey, get away from me. This is what God wants me to do. But Jesus could have said all kinds of things to Satan with Satan being right in his face, but yet he didn't. He spoke no reviling accusation against him. He just basically told him where to go. So even Jesus Christ nor his angels ever have spoken any evil against the devil or his followers. So back to today's scripture. Let, let's keep away, uh, back to today's scripture of keeping away from the blasphemy of God's Holy Spirit. It's really not that hard 
to stay away from the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit if you're seeking God. Because if you're really seeking God and you're really trying to follow God, you're not going to say anything evil against Satan or his followers no matter what, what power you see, what miracle you see. And we know in the latter days, we know in the days of the Revelation where the book of Revelation was written in the latter times, Satan will be doing supernatural miracles to draw people away to him. Okay, he will be doing those things, but yet the Bible says if we just stay context, <clears throat> if we just stay according to what God says to us in the Word, if we just don't speak any evil against Him, and to say, "Hey, I know that that's Satan. Hey, get behind me, Satan. Uh, I know that's you. Get behind me because you're not, you know, you're not in God's Word. That's not what God says. So we know that as long as we just follow God <clears throat> and the Bible, that we can be safe from this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit." So I praise God because I love His Word. He really gives all of mankind all that we need if we're just willing to seek Him. He gives us all the wisdom, all the knowledge we need if we're just willing to seek Him, if we're just willing to obey Him and listen to His Word. The Bible says, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Praise be to God. But you know, unfortunately, God put this one on my heart this week, and this is going to make your jaws drop. Okay? This is going to make your jaws drop. As where we just spent a whole, pretty much a whole sermon talking about how to stay away from the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in comparison to what we just taught today, there is a group of people that consider themselves atheists. And that means that they just don't believe in God. And believe it or not, they call themselves the Rational Response Squad. This is going to blow your lid. And you can actually look this up for yourself. How we actually looked at how we could stay away from the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, they created, uh, they, they say they don't believe in God. And they wanted to make a joke of the Holy Scriptures and a God that they say they don't believe in. And so what did they do? They went ahead and they made a whole website for no other purpose than to blaspheme the Holy Spirit, which they say they don't believe in. So they can go to hell, a place that they don't even believe in, because they don't believe in God, so they don't believe in the devil. Many atheists sure spend a lot of time refuting a God that they say they don't believe in, right? If you really don't believe in God, then why would you spend the precious time of your life trying to prove to others that the God that you don't believe in isn't really there? To me, that doesn't make any sense, but I think it's, I think it's God prompting them in a sense hey, yeah, they can't escape the knowledge of God, so they, what they have to do, instead of just not just saying nothing about it, they have to just almost go totally against it and just try to prove to everybody that there's no God. That's ridiculous. So they made this website to make a joke of Christ and God. But I'm going to read this bit of this website to you to show you how ridiculous they are and to show you how God really made a joke of them. Okay? The name of the website, Google this if you'd like, it's called The Blasphemy Challenge. The Blasphemy Challenge. And they wanted to give away a book written by one or more atheists called The God Who Wasn't There. Okay? So I'm going to read you the website, and I'm going to show you how sad but funny, because this really is sad, but it really is funny as well too, because God really does make a joke about them. I'm going to read this uh, internet to you and this website to you a little bit, just a little bit of it, and we'll hold it up against the context of our scripture, and we'll see what they have to say. So here it is. This is them talking to us now. The Rational Response Squad is giving away 1,001 DVDs of The God Who Wasn't There, the hit documentary that the Los Angeles Times calls provocative, to put it mildly. There's one catch. We want your soul. It's simple. You record a short message damning yourself to hell, you upload it to YouTube, and then the Rational Response Squad will send you a free... The God Who Wasn't There DVD, it's just that easy. It's, it's just that easy, guys. 
but, but they want your soul. Remember, you can't forget that part. They, they want your soul. The, the soul they don't really believe in because they don't believe that there's a God because they don't believe that there's a hell. See, so it doesn't make any sense. Why did they do it? So it's simple. You just, just do this. Here's your instructions. Make this DVD. Make this YouTube video. You may damn yourself to hell however you'd like. But somewhere in your video, you must say the phrase, I deny the Holy Spirit. Here's your instructions. You may damn yourself to hell however you like, but somewhere in the video you must say, I deny the Holy Spirit. Why? Because according to Mark 3.29 in the Holy Bible, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. Jesus will forgive you for just about anything, but he won't forgive you for denying the existence of the Holy Spirit. Even this is a, or ever, ever, he said, they say ever. This is a one-way road you're taking here. You know, you can see the mockery behind it there. They don't believe in hell, don't believe in God, but this is a mockery to them. So this is all a joke to them. So this is really, you got to look at it like that. And it says, once you have shot your blasphemous video, just follow these two easy steps. And then they go along the lines and they give you the method on how to go on YouTube and how to, you know, how to do that. Now this is, as I said earlier, this is both sad and this is both funny. And it is funny, because I mean, I was like, this is ridiculous, but it's also sad. Funny because their understanding of the scripture is wrong. And really, I deny the Holy Spirit is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Okay? It's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the words, I deny the Holy Spirit. Remember what we just talked about, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit was. It's seeing the miracle of God being done, or a miracle of a healing, or a miracle of this, and then attributing it to Satan. And then really, only if you really see a man of God doing it right at that point, you got to do it because, okay, remember to speak against the Holy Spirit. It's, remember, the definition was uh, the act of showing contempt or lack of reverence for God. Lack of reverence, think of it like a king. Imagine you were standing in front of a king. In his presence, you have to be disrespectful so you'd have to be in the situation where it happened where you're in the presence of the miracle happening in order to blaspheme the holy spirit because if you're going to show if you're not going to show reverence or lack of reverence for god you got to show lack of reverence to the holy spirit you'd have to be there in the presence so to say the words i deny the holy spirit is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So none of the, all the people that made this video that said that phrase are damned to hell. They still haven't, forgive, haven't committed the unforgivable sin. But it's sad also because they actually have no fear of God and they refuse to just surrender to Jesus Christ. And what they thought would send them to hell, this I deny the Holy Spirit won't even really get them. What'll get them to hell is their lack, is their total denial and surrender of their lives to Christ. And because of this, because they just won't surrender, because they just refuse to believe, this will send them to hell and not their so-called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You know, and it's sad because God doesn't want that even for them. I believe it was the, even the grace of God that made them not really be in a position where they really could blaspheme the Holy Spirit. I believe that was even the grace of God that they said that, that stupid phrase, which is not the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And so there's still hope for them, believe it or not. That's how, how long-suffering and how awesome and how loving Christ and God really, really are. Because remember, 2 Peter 3 3, 2 Peter 3, God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. And that even goes for the rational response squad people. It even still holds true even for them. Isn't that something? It's always sad when people take the scripture, take the Holy Bible out of context. It really is. So in closing, you know that being an atheist and blaspheming God and His Holy Spirit, you know that being an atheist and blaspheming God and His Holy Spirit uh, that you say you don't believe in is, is not the only way to reject Christ or reject the Holy Spirit and commit a, you know, an unforgivable sin and go to hell. 
there are, is another way. Simply just rejecting Jesus Christ's lordship over your life until you die. Just simply just not submitting and surrendering to Jesus Christ's lordship in your life is a surefire way. Well, the Bible says that it will. Uh, if you don't surrender, if you don't ever put your trust and you continue to live in sinful ways, the Bible says that by these things you will perish in the flames of fire forever. You see, there are many paths to hell. Many paths to hell. Even when you're on the road and you think, I'm safe, I've been saved, the Bible says that there's even many paths off of that road. There's even many ways off of that path. But there's only one way to heaven. And that's, of course, through the salvation of Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Examine your life today, please. Are you living for? Are you trusting in? And are you surrendering your life to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life? And are you making him the Lord of your life daily? That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come up after me, they must deny themselves. They must take up their cross daily and they must follow me. For whoever, does not lose his whoever does not lose his life will gain it here on earth, really. You can add that because you're gaining a life here, but what does that profit you? But whoever loses his life for my sake, you will gain your life in heaven. So whoever desires to follow me must deny themselves, pick up their crosses daily, and follow after me. And if you're not, if you're not doing this and practicing this daily, why not? Why not? Stop fooling around and, and get there because you know how much God loves you and you know the price that God paid for you, especially after you listen to this message. You know what Jesus Christ did for you and you know without the shedding of blood, there is no remissions of your sins. So why not? Christ and God love you so much and their love for you is unfathomable. You can't even understand his love for you. So why not? Wow. Or are you an atheist? Or do you know some atheists? Well, as I said earlier, I used to be an atheist. And I claimed that I didn't believe in God, even though I couldn't 100%ly say it in my heart. I said, well, uh, you know, I'm, I would be an atheist, but, you know, kind of agnostic. Well, maybe there's a God, you know, maybe there's not a God. But, you know, even if there is, you know what, I really don't care. That's kind of where I stood before. I really just didn't care if there even was a God at all. And to you or anybody you know may be an atheist, I'd like to challenge you with some of these questions that kind of God got me with. Where do your thoughts come from? Hist uh, medical science tells us that the brain is 60 to 70% fat. How do thoughts, the whole being behind who you are, how do they just... How do you think out of a 60 to 70% mass of fat? Where does that thought come from? It's invisible. You can't see it, taste it, touch it, hear it, or smell it with any of your, with any of your fingers or hands. You, you, you think it, it's there, but you can't grab it. It's not something material. You can't lay your hands on thought. It's just there. You just think. Where did that come from? Where did all creation come from? How did, just, how did just everything just become? In my experience, and maybe in your experience too, when we look at just humanity, what do we see? Wherever man goes, we destroy. You could have a beautiful, lush forest and awesome trees and growing everywhere, and it's so gorgeous, and you can go on nature hikes and everything. If you take a man, and he goes and buys the land, and he goes, that's it, this is a beautiful place to land up. Wonderful place to build a house. What is the first thing he does? He moves in and he starts destroying. He starts cutting down trees to build his house, or he just starts cutting down trees to make a place for his house. Then after the house is built, whether from the trees or not, what does he do? He puts a toilet into that house. And what does he do in that toilet but goes to the bathroom and starts messing everything all up? 
So, and then he starts living in it. He builds himself a driveway and he drives his car in there and he makes all the pollution that comes from the car. We move in and we destroy, yet when you look at all creation, it's all so perfect. It's all so wonderful. It's all so beautiful. It's been untouched by the hand of man. It's all just the way it was meant to be. Where did that all just come from? Do you look at a picture on the wall and say, wow, that's nice, that picture that just popped up there. It's wonderful, that picture that just, wow, it's, did you just see that? It just poofed. Oh, there it is on the wall. No, you look at a picture and you think, wow, that artist really had talent. Or maybe you say, wow, that artist really, you, he, don't quit his day job. He's not that good. But you don't say, oh, it just came to be. You think about the one that painted it. And of course, the one that got me, what happens to you when you die? Because I've learned this in my 39 years, that even you, if you're an atheist, or you have a friend that's an atheist, even atheists have a conscience. What happens to you when you die? Can you tell me? Can you explain it to me? And are you sure if you believe? Yeah, because I used to believe. Yeah, just dig a hole and throw me in there and bury me over, and then that's it. I just cease to exist. Are you sure? Are you 100% sure? Because I wasn't. And if you're honest with yourself, or if you have an atheist friend, if they're honest with themselves, you can ask them. They don't know. And maybe it doesn't scare them. They'll tell you. But inside, it scared me. And inside, it is scary to think, wow, what happens to me when I die? You know, when you're Lungs stop. Your eyes close for the very last time. Your breath stops. And your heart stops beating in your chest. And blackness comes. What is next? Think about it. I challenge you to think about these questions. And if you say, oh, well, I just don't want to think about them. Then you're running. Don't run. I challenge you, atheists, or if you have an atheist friend, you can challenge your atheist friend. Ask God if he's real. Ask him if he's real. Just say, hey, God, Jesus, are you there? Are you really real? Do you really exist? I just have to know. Just please, can you show me? And Jesus Christ said, all those that ask will receive, and all those who seek shall find, and all those who knock, the door will be open to them. And I don't want to hear any nonsense about, well, I did that one time. Because if you dropped a $100 bill and you didn't know where it went, you wouldn't just stop looking for that $100 bill if you just looked for it one time real quick. You would search for that $100 bill until you found it, even if you had to tear up your whole living room to find it. And Jesus said, seek and you shall find. The word seek is something that's not just, oh, uh, oh, it's not there. If you seek, that means you're really intently looking. And that means you're seeking for something that might be there, but you want to find it. Go dig under every rock. Go look behind every tree and keep seeking. Because the Bible says Jesus is faithful to his word. And you can test him at his word. He says that. Seek and you shall find. Because God loves you more, atheists, or if you have an atheist friend, God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Even you, Christ died for your sins too, even though you don't believe in him. Christ died for your sins too. Well, I don't believe it. Well, that, that's fine. Because I don't believe it doesn't make it true. Just because the belief I have, I have, doesn't make it true either. It makes truth is truth. And it is truth if you ask God and you ask him to reveal himself to you and you're really seeking. He can show you. The Bible says that he will show you. So let's pray. I just, God loves you. Please just remember that. And if you seek, you'll find he desires to reveal himself to you. And so let's pray. And I'll be praying for you too. Lord Jesus, thank you so much. Lord, for this message. Thank you so much for your word today. God, I love you so much. And I thank you, dear God, that this message is going to go all over the world. Lord God, and I just pray that, 
Lord, those that are just sitting on the fence, Lord, those that are not right with you, Lord God, those that are just, they're, they're there, but they're just, they just won't surrender. They just won't lay their lives down, Lord God. I pray, Lord God, that you would continue to show them how much you love them. I pray you continue to reach out to them, Lord God. Reach out to them even today and reveal yourself to them, God, in your love and your grace and your mercy that you pour out to all mankind. I pray, dear God, that they would not sit there any longer, but that they would choose the side of you and fall off into your arms and surrender to you. And Lord, for any atheists that may be listening, Lord, and for any people that even have atheist friend, Lord God, I pray that somehow they get this message into their hands. And Lord God, I just pray that they would think about what they're doing, think about their lives, and think about those questions that I asked them. Where does thought come from? Where did all creation come from? And what happens to me when I die? And is God really real? Is God really real? Lord, I just pray that they would start seeking you. I pray, dear God, that you would even draw them unto you. God, please draw them unto you. And I pray, please, dear God, save their souls. Draw them to Christ Jesus and bring them to repentance in the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, I know you love them. And Lord, I know I'm going to say it right now, but I love them. I love you, anybody who's listening. I just pray, dear God, all these things in the mighty name, and precious name, and powerful name of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. We would like to thank everyone who has joined us today to listen to Pastor Ed Spagnoli bring us more biblical truth as he preaches verse by verse through the Bible. It is our prayer that you are encouraged and challenged to respond to the word of the Lord today as one life will soon be passed, and only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. If you would like to support this ministry, or contact us for prayer, or for any reason at all, please visit gospelsavingchurch.com and enjoy our beautiful new website and click on the appropriate links. God bless you.